This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. Welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guests each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, friendships, our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is the incredible Carrie Garcia. As a pastor, licensed life coach, author, and CEO, Carrie has been inspiring change in others by boldly sharing her journey to freedom. She is not afraid to wade through deep waters because she has seen firsthand how God's true redemptive purpose for our lives does not begin once we're free from pain. Rather, it stems directly out of that pain. Today, Carrie is on a mission to redefine freedom for others through her nonprofit, Freedom Movement. Since 2014, she's fostered an environment at Freedom Movement where anyone has the permission to begin to process and heal, whether they're taking their first or their last step on the road to freedom through the organization's tours, memberships, workshops, certificate program, and one-on-one coaching. Carrie really deeply believes that free people free people. So she's here to give practical tools and champion anyone who is ready to live free and fully alive. In fact, she just released yesterday, this airs on June 7th, and on June 6th, she just released her new book, Free and Fully Alive. And in this book, Carrie is drawing on her own experiences and expertise to create a dynamic, practical guide for readers to learn how to embrace their past and discover a deeper connection to themselves, God, and others. Carrie and I had such a fantastic conversation. We really dug deep. We got we got deep. We laughed. We almost cried. We laughed till we cried. I'm telling you, this interview, this conversation is kind of the epitome of what I feel like this podcast is all about. I loved it so much. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get to my chat with Carrie Garcia. Carrie, welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for being here. I'm excited already. Already I came on and was like, oh, Molly's my people. Where have you been my whole life? (laughs) I know. So I'm already ready. Okay, question for you. Because I was, uh, the other day I was having a conversation with somebody. We were talking about um, like like spiritual gifts that we have that aren't listed in the list of official (laughs) spiritual gifts. And I was like, I mean, maybe we could call this discernment. Although I don't know that that's whatever. I was saying, I was like, I feel like I have a spiritual gift of reading people like very quickly in that yeah. within within 30 seconds to a minute, I can pretty tell like, is this person phony? Is this person like, mm-hmm. you know, who they say they are? Am I going to like mm-hmm. this person? Not in like a right. judgy way, if if that makes sense, but just more of a... Right. You get a, like a vibe, a vibe, a vibe. You know, is that what the kids right, say these right. days? The vibe. Yeah, I, th- I think so. My nine-year-old the other day was like, mom, that whole thing is a vibe. And I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Bet. Um, it's anyway. either good or bad. It depends on the tone. Wow, that's a vibe. I or, know. whoa, that's a vibe. That's a vibe. I know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I 
all that to say is I'm getting a great vibe from you and I'm very excited. Um, Also, it's very vibey. It's very vibey over here, guys. Yes, I love it. Okay. So also there was a thing that we were kind of talking about before we started recording that we just we're Mm going to have to talk about right now. And that is Mm -hmm. you're you're a mom. I'm a mom. This is airing. We're recording this right at the end of the school year. And we were talking about how I I used to be a high school teacher. So I I was a teacher. I was an educator for a couple of years. I have been in this world. I get it. But also, I'm like, why do they cram everything known to man in the last month to few weeks of school where I just feel like I am crawling across the finish line to the last day of school? Right, right. Like, why? I think it's because every teacher, I think every teacher's like, I had to live in hell for the past year. Now I want you to feel it. I know. Are we allowed to say that on this podcast? I don't yeah. know. But I, I but I want you to feel it for this last week. I mean, the amount of projects, projects. outfits, things that Roma has to be at, award ceremonies, blessing ceremonies. I mean, all the things. I, I crawled to get to this podcast. I was I, like, oh, she has an award ceremony. I told you yesterday, she had marshmallows in her lunch bag. I'm not even exaggerating. She had marshmallows in her lunch bag. She had old granola from God knows how long that thing has been in there. And a a fake Uncrustable because I was at Dollar Tree and they had the yeah. fake Uncrustables, which is basically a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that they make for you and take the crust off. It's the yeah. most crazy thing. And it was a <laughs> fake one. Like I couldn't even get the real un- peanut butter Uncrustable. This is where we're at. Like yeah. you're, and she was stoked. She was like, oh, can you put marshmallows in my little chicken today? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, Here, it's so funny. This is what we Last asked. week. Okay. So, cause we've had, you know, the, yeah, the, the, here's the thing is like the teacher appreciation week was like two weeks ago. And I was uh, like, guys, I couldn't, yeah. I, can we move? Can we vote collectively to move teacher appreciation week to earlier in the year when I've got some steam? Yeah. Cause at this point I got yeah. nothing. I got nothing. My son, you know what home. they did at my school? What they paid that we paid at the beginning and there's one blessed lady oh. that takes care of the gifts and everything for you throughout the whole year. You know who I got a gift for? Her. Yeah. <laughs> I bought her a gift yes. because I will pay whatever money you need me to pay. And she goes and gets all the baskets and the gifts and she does it throughout the year. I never thought about it. I wrote a check at the beginning of the year. I got her a Starbucks gift. Okay. That's the only gift that I got. Okay. So I need, so, we need to, I, we need to collectively in, in our school, we need to do that because I, I just I don't <laughs> have it in me and I want my teacher, my kids teachers to know, I think you're amazing. I also just don't have any steam or bandwidth to do the right. creative crafty things. I'm like, I might in right. July be like, when I've come up for mm-hmm. air, send you a Starbucks gift card. Like I'm going like, to circle be, back it's gonna around. be late. I'm going to circle back. I'm going to be like, Hey, I want you right. to know that I appreciate you. I just couldn't say it in May because I couldn't breathe. Um, so. Right. Listen, <laughs> if I'm having a hard time bathing myself during this week, you better believe I'm having a hard time getting you a Starbucks card. Okay. I couldn't even wash my hair for six days. You think I'm getting you a Starbucks card? You're looking at pants on. That's oh just gosh. all I have to say. Okay, You're lucky? So- I have pants on today. My son came All right. home and he was like, mom, he's, so he's seven, he's in first grade. And he was like, mom, I have an in-school field trip tomorrow. Are you going to chaperone it? And I was like, chaperone an in-school field trip? I was like, isn't that what they pay teachers for? And I was like, and then he said, also, I need $8 and I need you to fill out the permission slip. And I was like, $8 and a permission slip for a, what is a glorified 
assembly. Like, do we do we not remember <laughs> assemblies? And so I could not find any anything uh, you know any form anything about the field trip, the in school field trip, aka the assembly, trip, right? The assembly. Um, and so I emailed this teacher, and I just was like, I don't have anything. So here's what I'm sending. Also. It was $8 for this in-school assembly for in cash only. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> what? Who has $8 in cash? And so I just sent 10 bucks, <laughs> two fives Ten in bucks. a Ziploc bag. You just rounded up. I rounded up because I was like, I'm not going to the bank to break a five. And so I put two fives in a, in a Ziploc bag. And then I kid you not, Gary, I hand wrote a note and I was like, I can't find the permission. He can go. He can go to the to the assembly. <laughs> so anyway, I just was finally like, I I I give up. I give up. I I've reined it in. Isn't everybody an in school field trip? That's just you sending you to school. To school. I just, just was... sending. I'm just sending you to school. Oh That's my gosh. But I just was thinking, and myself... also the fact that you even had ten dollars on you, I would have had to take that from my kids' wallet or piggy bank because a hundred percent, I don't have. I'm t- I would have sent like, you know, yes. food stamps or something like, here you go. I have nothing. I, I would just said like box tops to the cereal yes, box. Bi- yes. Box tops. I just was, I was flabbergasted by the, okay. Cause it was like Dan, the animal man was there with the animals and they, so I guess they had to pay okay. for it. That's an assembly. And I was like, oh, but that's an assembly. And why do we need a permission slip for the assembly? I just, anyway, I was very confused. Thank you for humoring oh me. Gosh, in this, this I needed that this, this morning because so I'm laughing pretty hard on this. I know. There's an assembly. Here, Kid might get eaten by the alligator that Dan, the animal man brings in. So could you write a bring an alligator. He says, did bring an alligator. Okay. I kid you not. Yeah. Amos came home and he was like, he was like, mom, Dan, the animal man brought an alligator, an owl, a snake. And he was like, it was a big snake. It took seven teachers to hold it. And I was like, okay, buddy. He's like, and a (laughs) monkey. And I was like, I have so many questions about all of this anyway. Okay. We're going to move on. This is fantastic. I love it so much. Carrie, welcome. We're going to, we've obviously already been getting to know you and you and I are on the same page with the crawling to the end of the school year finish line, but let's yes, give us yes. the carry 101. So tell us who you are. What do you do? How did you get to where you are today? Yes. Well, besides being a mom, which I actually do really love, same, I am same. a mom of it's three, a wife of one, which is good. And I run an organization called Freedom Movement, which is uh, which is now global, which is just wild. I'll tell you that much. And basically what we do is we help train you to heal in your story mm. um, by becoming trauma-informed, biblically sound, and spirit-filled. And we do that through uh, tons of training around the globe. We do that with um, evangelistic tours. And it really came to this a place. We've been doing this for about 10 years. I've been running this nonprofit for about 10 years because I really just realized in my own life, I knew a lot about Jesus in my head and had no idea how to apply the truth of his word 
into my heart. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand why, like I wanted to know God deeply. And yet I didn't know how to encounter or face off or even really embrace the stories of harm and heartache that were in my home, the addiction that I, the drug addiction I was uh, stuck in, the suicide of my mom, all of these things that were going on in my home. And yet we would show up to church on Sunday. Every morning, my dad would preach a really good message and my mom would play in the worship team. And all of this brought about a lot of confusion for me until I really dove into what does it mean to actually live abundantly and what does this look like? And so freedom movement was really birthed on what would it look like if we just got up and started being honest about what's going on and would people's lives begin to change and how could I then train them to actually see God through a trauma-informed, biblically sound and spirit-filled lens. And so that's really what we do at Freedom Movement. And that's kind of in a very, very short nutshell, uh, what I do in the world. Okay, fantastic. And I am curious, you you kind of alluded to it briefly. So you did grow up in the church. Your dad was a pastor. You're, you said your mom was on the worship team. Was that mm-hmm. like, what was your earliest, you know, childhood, like, what was your kind of uh, in your mind, your experience Mm -hmm. with growing up in the church, um, you know, just kind Mm -hmm. of on the surface? Yeah, great question. I, so we went to church on Sundays, we played the part, looked the part, performed the part. Dad was a great preacher. I'm actually a third generation pastor. So this has like been in our blood, right? Mm -hmm. Mom played on the worship team. She played the egg shaker. You know, we were radical Baptists at the time. She was really, she had a triangle. We were getting it, you know, but we would go home and we never really talked about the fact that my mom had a pervasive eating disorder, Mm -hmm. mental illness. My dad was gone almost every night during the week ministering, even though we were home kind of dealing with the the ramifications of being raised by a mom who was really, really neglecting and absent. I know she did her best, but to be honest with you, her best wasn't good enough Mm. for the fact that we were really hurting. And when you're a truth teller like me, which is a gift that God has given me, but when you're young and the world and secrets are happening around you and you want to say something is wrong here, that's not always welcomed. I didn't know what to do with, does God just want me to perform for him to love me and then maybe he'll fix me? Or do I just, you know, numb myself because I can't stand what's going on? And that's really the option that I took at 13. I started drinking and uh, doing drugs and uh, became a meth addict by the time I was 14 Mm. and just living out, but showing up to church every Sunday. I mean, I came to church, this is back in the day, and some of you guys can relate to this, but I, my, that's when we had the overhead projector and my dad would have me do the overhead projector while I'm like high, I'm like spun and high. And he was like, I don't care. I just want you in church all the time. So in a way I was always in church but living, we were living such a duplicit life. And my dad loves Jesus and loved God, but I don't think he knew what to do and how to deal with what was happening in our home. So he really used ministry as an escape Mm -hmm. for many, many years, even though I do believe he, I I know that he believed in God and, and so did my mom, but there was no honesty around what was really going on. And that was my formative years growing up in the church, doing church, not really understanding uh, that God actually cares about how broken my heart was. Mm, Man, 
there's obviously a lot I want to unpack there, but there's a question that's just kind of top of mind for me because I think it's um, Mm -hmm. relevant to a lot. I feel like a conversation I feel like that has just been happening a lot, whether it's on social media, in, uh, you know, in campfire circles, wherever. <laughs> I don't know why mm-hmm. those are the two locations I picked for this conversation to take place. Um, <laughs> Feels right. But it's yeah, but it's this um, almost it's become almost trendy. And I don't know if that's the word I want to I want to say mm-hmm. to say, oh, well, I grew up in the church. I was a pastor's kid. You know, I, you know, I was in church every Sunday, yada, yada, yada. But I was really burned by the church. I was, I don't want anything to do with G I'm deconstructing my faith. I'm like leaving the church altogether mm-hmm. or I'm just like, and so you see a, a, a lot of these people who kind of grew up in the quote unquote ultra religious realm who have in adulthood essentially walked away from their faith. Right. And despite your or or maybe in it, it because of your kind of mm-hmm. roller coaster uh experience so to speak mm-hmm. you are here very clearly still uh involved in the church mm-hmm. and you you care about the church and mm-hmm. you you want to see something a, a different way that you grew up with but i'm curious for you mm-hmm. like what has it been like for you to go on your own journey and relationship with the Lord that has led you to where you are, where you are still faithfully following Christ and you haven't kind of fallen into the deconstruction or the, I'm going to just leave the church Mm -hmm. or forget the church movement. Do you know what I'm saying there? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I do. Here's the thing. Like, I think we're all deconstructing, but if we're not having the opportunity to reconstruct and really see where God is wanting to move in our life, like then we aren't really embracing restoration. And so, you know, here's the thing. You have every right to be angry at the church because it's full of a bunch of fallen people, but the church is not your problem. Mm -hmm. The church wasn't my problem. What I needed to look at was the deeper issue. Oftentimes when we don't know how to deal with our story, the places of harm that have come to us in our early years, which is mostly what happens. It's in our early years of those formative stories, those places of harm, whether you've had a perfect family, which is a falsehood, or you've had, you know, this really abusive, outright neglectful family. At the end of the day, all of us have experienced harm. And when we do not know how to engage those places of harm in our story, we will find out Let's to blame for our pain. Mm. So it becomes very easy to go, you know, the church is a mess and, you know, I was hurt in the church. Well, my question is, what's your expectation of fallen people? And what I really had to get now, I'm not saying stay in abusive relationships, but I would say that across the board for anything, church, friendships, marriages, you know, whatever, if it's abusive, you need to obviously leave. However, we have so attached our salvation, our sanctification, our relationship with Jesus through the grid of human lens. So mm-hmm. how I was treated by my parents, how I was uh, loved, I'm going to have that same grid on how I love God, how I'm treated in the church. I'm going to have that same grid of how I love God, unless I go deeper into the, wait a minute, everyone's flawed. How has their flawed behaviors affected me? And how is the enemy partnered with those unhealed places, those wounded places that have landed on me, how has that affected me and the narrative in which I have? So for me, 
it was, yeah, I could easily blame the church for my problems. My mom committed suicide basically in the church. You know, I I could blame the church because it stole my dad away from, we were sacrificed on the altar of ministry. I could easily blame the church for that. So how's that working for you? Hmm. Are you really finding a place of wholeness and happiness by through the blame of the church and through the blame of Christianity? Or do you want to look at the deeper narrative and story of going, what is actually keeping me from experiencing Jesus and the goodness of who he is? What is the lens in which is keeping me from experiencing him? And that's the work I did. I was like, I'm, st- I'm going to stop blaming fallen people for doing fallen things that have affected me. And I'm actually going to look how those fallen things have hurt me and allow God to tend to them Mm. with his grace, his mercy, his kindness that will lead me to a relationship with him outside of needing all these external factors to determine my faith. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is just, I mean, that's such a great testimony to God's provision, God's grace, God's mercy, his, uh, just all of it and, and his love and intentionality. Because I think when we, when we do cloud our judgment, we cloud our thinking, we cloud our mindset with, or, or conflating, I think is the word I'm looking for, like the humanity of people, the fallen humanity of people with God and we mm-hmm. make an idol out of the church and we make an idol out of, um, you know, pastors. We make an idol out of worship leaders or uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And we fix our eyes on those things and not on the truth of God, then yeah, absolutely. We can, we can find our, our, we can lose our way, but it's, it's like God in his grace, just, just really helped you to, to forget or not forget, but to, to, to just keep your eyes on him, you know, even when, and to draw you back in after you had kind of, like I said, you know, like you'd said, you know, really struggled and and fallen into drug drug addiction and things like that. What was the thing that started to pull you out of that, that season of, of really struggling in, in drug addiction? Cause that's, that's hard. That's, I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up around Mm -hmm. people in recovery and I watched many people fall Mm -hmm. in and out of recovery frequently. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, that's hard in general. Um, but was there, was it a person? Was it an event? Was it hitting rock bottom? Like, what was it for you that really kind of got you out of that? Here's what I want to say to this, because I've been sober 21 years. Mm, Congratulations. However, thank you. I, I still struggle with addiction. Let me and, and so let me explain this. Yeah. I got off drugs because I was going to die. Like that was like, I'm either going to die or I'm going to get better. And for me, it was just like, I, I, I want to live. And, I, and so I got off drugs, detoxed and whatever. Here's the problem. I didn't deal with why I did drugs in the first place. Mm-hmm. I didn't just wake up one day and go, yeah, I want to become a meth addict. Like, you know, I wanted to be on Oprah and like, this is my fourth book, Oprah. And it's amazing. Like I had all these dreams for myself. Right. And, and I fell into drugs because of the pain of my home. No one is doing drugs because they just want to do drugs. That's, that's not how it works. They are a blinking light and you can come and have a conversation with me, but I stand by this. They're a blinking light to something that is going on deeper in your, in the home, especially in your, as adolescent. And 
that wasn't actually the biggest marker for me. I got off drugs and I went straight into ministry. Mm. And I was like, I know ministry is going to save me because that's what I saw. And let me tell you something. Ministry just became another addiction. Mm. It was a place where I sought approval. I sought that applause that got me high and I felt it. And I was like, okay, this is what's going to make me feel great. This is what's going to make all the chaos that is internally in me, all of the stuff that I have minimized or stuffed or avoided of the pain of my home, this is what's going to make me feel good. And then I get married and we do ministry together. And then all of a sudden, at 27 years old, everything falls apart because here's the reality. I just went from one addiction to another. Mm. The addiction of ministry was, was socially acceptable. I mean, I was going to have a book deal and clothing line, and I was giving my testimony of, of freed from drugs. I was sober, but I was still heavily addicted. And the addiction was the place of what I call my book, the cycle of false freedom, this behavior modification of going, maybe this behavior will save me. Maybe this behavior will save me. Maybe this behavior will save me all in an attempt to mitigate and ignore and avoid the pain mm. of the shattering in my story. So the moment that I actually started getting better was the moment when everything was gone, addictions of ministry, of people pleasing, of being famous and, and applause, all of that was gone because of the divorce of my marriage. Everything had fallen apart. And here I was in my car, basically feeling like there was a stamp of disprove, you know, you're disqualified really because of all the things I'd done now here I am. I've lost ministry. I'm it's supposed to be this recovering addict, but I still feel very addicted. And I was ready to take my life. Mm. And it was in that moment in my car where God really was like, look, I'm none of these, all of these people that have turned their back on you, all of this, I'm not in any of this. Right. If you turn your car around and you actually start getting honest about where you're actually hurting, like how angry you are that your mom was neglectful, how angry you are that your dad sacrificed you on the altar of ministry. If you begin to get honest with me, like brutally honest with me, then I promise you when you turn this car around, it's going to be a long journey, but you are going to find the abundant life that, that I promise you, you're going to find it. And I turned the car around and it was two years of I mean, honestly, it's been many years now of continually getting honest, facing off those places of addiction that I still probably struggle with, but I now can realize it more often than I could before and started getting going into therapy and doing just a lot of work around who is God actually in my story. Forget religion, forget the addiction, forget all the, where am I broken and hurting in my story that needs to be tended to? And it is there that the kindness of the Lord met me and led me to repentance. It was there that I found the good news. Man, we could just end right there. That was just, a, we just had church, Carrie. Um, wow. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Now you said something that I really want to unpack because I think that this is so key for so many people. And I would say, honestly, if you are listening and you are not somebody who would you know, categorize yourself as a Christian or a believer or whatever. But I think that this is a mm -hmm. ultimate, this is such a 
deep thing within so many of us. And that's this the difference between behavior modification and heart transformation, like where we are actually making changes and we're we're moving away from that behavior modification. And this is something I think a lot about, I mean, in my own life for sure and in my own story, um, but especially as a parent and with my kids. Yeah. And it was actually, I'd done an, a podcast interview with um, Sandra Stanley, Andy Stanley's wife, mm-hmm. a couple months ago. And she was talking about how something that they did with their kids with with regards to discipline was, um, and this has a point, but <laughs> she said um, yeah. that they really parented with the relationship in mind. And their whole parenting philosophy was they wanted, when their kids were adults, to be friends with each other and like in good relationship with them. She's like, you know, to the point that Mm -hmm. they looked forward to coming home. They wanted to see us. They want to be around us. They want to be around each other. And so they parented when the kids were young with that in mind. And it was this idea of when, you know, a sibling, like a brother hurt the sister or sister or vice versa, you know, I, as the mom would walk in and say, Hey, you know, we'd have a conversation around it and it wouldn't just be a sorry, you know, Uh I'm sorry, I did that. And Uh it was more of a, let's have a conversation about, I'm sorry for, state the thing we did, and how do we then restore the relationship with the sibling that we've hurt, or same with the parent. And so I've really Uh taken that to heart, and I think about that with my kids, because I don't want them just being like, because my kids are, you know, my my, uh, daughter's nine, my son is seven, and they love each other so deeply. And then the next minute they are at each other's throats. And there are times where I'm just like, right. oh my gosh, why are we fighting about these things? And so I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. They get frustrated. You know, we're just all, everybody's getting frustrated. And so when right. something happens, I then say, hey, here's why this is, you know, inappropriate behavior. I love you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to work through this on how to do better next time. And then how do we restore the relationship if somebody has been hurt or think words have been said or things like that. And so I think mm-hmm. that's kind of almost like a microcosm example of this idea of heart transformation versus just behavior modification. Because if we just punish mm-hmm. and I just say, oh, well, go to your room. I'm not actually mm-hmm. having the conversation with my kids about why the behavior is inappropriate or why this was wrong. And so I think that when we do that with ourselves and God, that is really where where change happens. And so I'd love for you to Mm kind of unpack from your experience of what that was like and how you've even seen that in the work that you do with your nonprofit Mm -hmm. of how do we get Mm -hmm. to the point of heart transformation just versus just on the surface Mm -hmm. behavior modification? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's, one of the things in the book I talk about is we connect before we correct. That that is the way of relationship. We connect before we correct. And really with behavior modification, like even what you were saying with your children, if we're correcting a behavior with not understanding why the behavior is happening, then we're just cutting cutting off the top of the weeds rather than Mm. pulling out the root, right? So there's a reason why, whether it's in their nervous system or whether it's in their like, you know, something is being triggered in them where they're feeling like, oh my gosh, I need to control something. I need to, I need autonomy. I need to feel that. And so it's like, Hey, we can't do that behavior, but also, Hey, what's, what's going on? Like you don't hate your sister. 
but what something feels threatened in you Mm. and let's figure out why. And I think for me and my story and the hundreds, thousands now of people that we work with and, and really help offer good care to is you've been doing all of these behaviors to try to find freedom, to try to experience the fully alive life. Right. And it's not working. So instead of like, let's, I I mean, can we just talk honestly? Like let's use pornography. Okay. We go, let's stop looking at porn. We put on like the little, you know, uh, rubber band snap ourselves every time we look at porn that week, you know, and then we come to our accountability groups and we go, okay, how many times did you look at it this week? And like, oh man, it was so hard. And so I snapped myself 100 times, you know, it's like, we're dealing with what if we just put these things that you feel shame around and we just put those on the shelf for a minute and we go, let's talk about why, what was stirring in you that day that you felt you needed to go get this place of a false intimacy or you, you needed, or, or, or let's talk about why you felt like I need to be so, so busy so that I don't have to sit in my own body. For me, it wasn't the drugs. That was the problem. It wasn't even the ministry that was the problem. Ministry could be a really good thing. The problem was, is when these things take the place of dealing with the root of why I'm doing something. Addiction is anytime we put something in the place of where God should be. So we're all celebrating recovery. We're all addicted to something. It's our human nature to bond with whatever we put in front of us. So in our lives, we have to look at the where the sh- the goodness shattered in our story so we can figure out we say this in the book but we can figure out the adaptive behaviors that we had when we were young and how those adaptive behaviors kept us in belonging and safety we were 7 we didn't have the option to move out you know we had to stay we were 7 right. those adaptive behaviors as you grow up become what's called maladaptive. Mm. And those adaptive behaviors then begin to, they're not helping you anymore. They're actually hindering you. They're keeping you from the wholeness and the fully alive life, holding the grief and the gratitude in the same breath, life that you're wanting. And that's really the work that I did. I stopped dealing with, I need to, you know, do these behaviors to, you know, stay out of bars and not hang around with people that do drugs. I mean, those were all fine. But I needed to figure out why did I want to numb myself so much? Mm. Then why did I want to use ministry? Why, why did I want to use that to be a salve to my broken heart? Where was my heart broken in the first place? And that's what we're trying to get to people to understand. I got to get to this so that I can actually become integrated and whole. So for somebody who is going through that or is struggling. And and honestly, you could argue that all of us do for the, all of our lives because it's a constant process of sanctification and it's a pro- constant process yes. of of working to rid our idols uh, or our heart of the idols of whatever, whether it's pornography mm-hmm. or whether it's uh, wealth or fame or status or money or right. you know, whatever it is, any of those things, uh, success, um, where we're trying to, like you said, and and I um, I love in um, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, where he really talks about that, mm-hmm. the, the worship of the idols of the heart, where we're just, we're putting these things in the place of where God should be. 
And so it is, right. it's a constant ever evolving. Like you'll have seasons where you're like, I'm, I'm on the money, but then you can even make that an idol. And it just becomes this like constant mm-hmm. vicious cycle. Um, but if there's somebody who's really kind of at the beginning of this or, or maybe um, even kind of going through a, a period of struggle, what are the things that have worked for you to identify, hey, these are the things that are in my heart that I'm wrestling with, I'm struggling with, or I'm, I'm, you know, worshiping these false idols, or I'm seeking success and comfort and security in fleeting things that aren't going to provide that. How do you then begin that process of replacing those things with the truth of, of God and, and the Mm -hmm. satisfaction and the safety and the purpose and the uh, provision that only he can provide? Yes. I mean, and this is what, this is what my book, literally my entire book is about this, like how to begin. It is the how to guide on how to begin this. And there's three pillars in the book that we go into quite a bit. It starts with connection to self, then connection to God, then connection to others. And I believe it's the fullness of these three things that allow us to stay honest and to keep coming before the Lord. And when these things, you know, come up, and the first one is really for any of you out there that are like, okay, I am, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like I, my idol is, I want to be a Pinterest mom. I want to be like the best mm-hmm. mom that there can be. And I just constantly feel like I'm failing. I constantly feel like I can't keep up. My question would be, how often do you feel like you have to keep up? How long has that been there? Tell me about some of the first times when you were younger that you felt this need to perform and to be perfect. Tell me about that. So what I would say is that first connection to self is write down one or two, forget about what, not forget about, but let's just put on pause the things you're doing today. And let's just take a look at going, okay, what are some of the stories? Like, who was I when I was younger? Mm -hmm. What, What was the role? This is a great question to ask what was the role I had to play in my family? Who was I in my family? Was I, did I have to be invisible to stay out of harm? Was I the peacekeeper? Was I the emotional holder for my mom? Was I the one that needed to be perfect? So I got praise and made my dad feel good and be delightful, be delighted in me. Was I the surrogate spouse to my dad because my mom and my dad had a really hard relationship? Asking those questions just begin to allow you to be curious. And the second thing I would say is just write down maybe one or two or three stories where you can kind of remember playing that role. Hmm. And then you just ask yourself, how did I protect myself? What did I have to do in those stories of harm or heartache or confusion to stay feeling safe? And I almost can guarantee you they will marry what is happening currently in your life. Mm. And this is where we can, I mean, I go into this quite a bit in the book. I hold your hand through all of it is definitely, I take very complex things and simplify them, but it starts with really going, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What do I think about the most? What am I feeling? And what am I actually really needing right now? Asking those three questions of where you are currently, and then giving yourself some space to really take a look at your life as a whole, not as just, you you aren't who you are today by just being here today. You are here by numerous stories that have shaped you. And I believe that God in doing this work is bringing you back to the hands that actually formed you. 
Mm, that's so good. So good. And I love how you really, you point it back to using those things as uh, stepping stones to the life that God has envisioned for you. And um, yes. I mean, I think about that a lot, uh, especially in my my own life and my own journey and, you know, not mm-hmm. walking with the Lord for the first 24, 25 years of my life. And, and I, the mistakes that I made in, you know, my teens and, and early young adulthood and how often I will find myself even now at, you know, almost 38 years old where I will sit and just play the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and like, and I'll mm-hmm. ask myself like, what would my life look like if I hadn't done X, Y, or Z? And then I think about, oh, I, if I had not made those mistakes, if I had not done X, Y, or Z, I would not be where I am right now. I would not be married to the man so I'm married true. to. I would not be living on the farm mm-hmm. I live on. I would not be writing the book I've dreamed of writing. I mean, I would, it, all of it, I, I wouldn't be doing it. And, mm-hmm. um, and right. so it's like, and every little thing, uh, you know, leads to where you are and God doesn't make any mistakes. I mean, there's not a single thing in my life that I can look back on and say, oh, well, if this hadn't happened, I'd still be where I am. Like, no, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Every single Mm -hmm. minute detail. And it's amazing um, Mm -hmm. to when, when we begin to, I mean, we never will have the eyes and the mind of God ever, but when we begin to step back and to zoom out and to kind of take that, uh, that bird's eye view of our lives that God has from the beginning. Um, and we see, right. oh, wow, there was, and it's not the, you know, the lie of everything happens for a reason. Like sometimes bad crap happens, but, but yeah. the reality yeah, is, right. is that God can use those things for his mm-hmm. purposes and his goods. Roman, right. Romans eight twenty eight that he uses mm-hmm. all things. That's not some things. That's mm-hmm. not a few things. That's all, like mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. for his good right. and his purposes um, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so good. I think too, that, 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 I mean, the idea that really is like, I, I think for some of us, it's so hard to understand that scripture when you are experiencing the death of your child, right. you're experiencing a, a diagnosis that can't be healed, you know, and then it's like, well, God uses all things for good. And it's like, I I don't want to hear that. And what I, what I want to speak to that is that God's purposes for you are not to use you. Mm -hmm. He will, the outcome of a, of a restoried heart is that you want to help others in the same pain that you've experienced. It's not that God's up there like, oh, good, this bad thing is happening. I can use this for my glory. That's maniacal and would be that that's not the heart of the father. So I just want to be really clear. Like, I think Jesus wept first when my mom committed suicide. Mm, Yeah. Uh, And I think that when I weep even to this day, because it will hit me in moments, because I don't want to live in a world where I actually get to be okay with, you know, like, it's okay, my mom died. No, it's never going to be okay. This like, it's, it's heartbreaking. Now, has God tended to that story and allowed there to be where there was so much power over me? Now I feel like in the grief and the empathy that I've had in that place of story and the tending to, I'm able to hold that when the grief comes and it doesn't move me to despair. It actually moves me to greater intimacy with a maker who wants to tend to my heart mm. when it's fragile. 
And so I just want to say out of the particularities of our pain come the particularities of our calling. And that's what this book is all about, reclaiming the story. You know, free and fully alive is reclaiming the story of who you were created to be. So it's understanding that all of these stories, God is not sitting up there going, oh, good, I can use her and all this pain. No, what he's saying is, I'm so thankful you let me tend to the places that are utterly shattered and utterly heartbroken. And together, we're, I'm allowing your heart to be tended to. And when you're met in the depths of your grief, and when you're met in the depths of despair and heartache, something begins to grow underneath the surface. There is this gratitude that you cannot manufacture no matter how many gratitude journals you have. There, there, it's a gratitude that comes in. You met me in my heartache. You didn't ask me to use it. You didn't ask me to do anything. You just sat with me and held it and tended to it. It is blessed are those who are who mourn for they will be comforted because we know that all traumatic events in our life, whether big or small, in order for them to move through our bodies, needs comfort and care. If they do not have that, they get embedded and stuck. And what God is doing and what I talk about in the book is that God is coming into these places where you have stuck stories from five, seven, 10, and you haven't had the opportunity to have those properly tended to. But when that happens, something begins to rise. Hope rises from the dirt and so does gratitude. And that's just what I want to say, that God is not waiting to use you. He's waiting to tend to you. And it will be out of that tenderness that you'll just want to share about a good God that loved you and met you in your heartache and never puts a timeline on your grief or your heartache. And it was always waiting to go into any story that needs tending to, even if it's multiple times, doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. It means that you're fragile and human and God loves that he made you human. Mm -hmm. And he wants you to be more and more human so that he can be more and more God in your story. So this whole idea, I, I, the, the context of that scripture, I think that God is much more about meeting your heart relationally. And when he does, something begins to happen. You go, hell no, not on my watch. Will I continue to let this happen on the land? But heaven, yes, because your heart was so tended to, you just want to tell everyone about it. Yes. That is what I think happens relationally with God and how he works in our stories. Amen to every last bit of that. Um, I... Yes. I mean, I relate so much of, to what you said. I mean, I lost my mom when I was 17 and um, it was, you know, under different circumstances, but still, I mean, that event, that mm. singular event shaped everything and, and changed everything for my life and the trajectory of my life. I mean, everything from mm. that moment, I mean, was was shifted forever. And yes, there is yes. never a day that um, I don't miss her. There's never a day that I am okay with um, her being gone, you know, and I remember when um, I got to the mark where I'd realized she had been gone for more of my life than I had had her. And mm. it was this really yeah. strange sense of how it, how am I living in such a way where this person that was so important to me and such a huge, massive part of my life 
has mm. been now gone for more than I knew her, um, felt really mm. surreal. And, and I just, I, I remember having this kind of breakdown and it was just, but it was like in that moment, it was like God's tender care of just like, bring yes. those emotions to me and, and all of that's okay. And, and whatever you're feeling is okay. And, and grief, as we know, is not yes. linear. It is all over the place. And, um, but at the same time, you know, kind of to, to the point of what you were saying and, and, and just all of it is, also, had that event not happened, I don't know, I'd be walking with the Lord now. I, I don't know. I have no idea what my life would right. look like if my mom were still here. Right. But I don't I don't know if I would have gone on the trajectory that I'd gone on. I certainly would have made probably different mistakes than the ones that I ended up making. Um, but it's just it's this whole uh, this this whole storyline stems from that one thing. And if that one thing hadn't happened, then my life would probably look very, very different. And so there mm-hmm. is a, a sense of gratitude of God, thank you for redeeming the mistakes that I made, um, despite those mm-hmm. things. And thank you for sitting me with, with me in the grief and thank you for, for picking me up. Yes. When I, I, you know, I'd hit rock, rock bottom. And so, um, I just mm-hmm. relate so yes. much to what you said. Cause I, I, yeah, I mean, it's just like, yes, amen. Ditto all, <laughs> all of it, all at the same time. I mean, it's just, we're, I mean, we're just human. You, yeah. you were never supposed to have a mommy that died at 17. Yeah. That's not, you were made for Eden. We were made for, right. we weren't supposed to encounter death and loss and heartache. And so when we look at these stories, I think we are, especially as Christians, we come into Christianity so broken and in need. And somewhere along the the way, we start to believe that we're supposed to have it more together than mm-hmm. we do. Yep. And that is not integration. That is a lie. And if the truth sets us free, then we have to be able to constantly be able to bring whatever truth we're experiencing before the Lord. I mean, look at Elijah, first Kings chapter 19, like he is despondent and depressed and suicidal and like, but he never stops talking to God Right. and God in his goodness. And this is old Testament God, God in his goodness gives him cake Yeah. while he grieves. He gives him cake. And I just think, and he gave him seconds and I'm like, hallelujah. And a nap. Seconds of cake. Yes, please. You know, and a nap. And I just think that this is where we get twisted and we think that we have to have it more together, that we have to have, you know, pull ourselves up. I have more faith. I must be lacking faith or I need to be fearless. What a bunch of baloney. There is, Jesus talks about do not fear 365 times in the Bible, which means he's saying do not fear every single day, not because it's a command, but it's an invitation saying, I know you're going to fear. So I'm just reminding you like a good daddy. Hey, you don't got to be scared today. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know you're scared today. You don't got to be scared today. I'm right Mm -hmm. here. And when you're scared, I'm right here. And so I just think there's just, we've got to start understanding. We must see the story before we see the sin or or the outcome. We need to see you're on drugs. Okay. What's the story? You're angry because you lost your mom at 17. Tell me more. Like, of course, of course, you are angry and heartbroken. And if no one knows how to walk you through that, of course, it's going to manifest itself in crazy ways because you're 17 and desperate to figure out this is not supposed to be this way. Right. And so can we give invitation to people? And this is literally why I wrote the book to say, hey, a free and and fully alive life is not eradicating the pain. It's inviting God into it and holding grief and gratitude, hurt and hope, fear and faith in the same breath through the connection of yourself 
and God and others. And it's here where we actually learn what it's like to be human. Mm. And God made us human in the garden. He didn't make us angels. He didn't make us deities. He made us human. And so we get to actually bring all of that. And and that is why I wrote this book is to help you start to reclaim those stories for for goodness and to be tended to rather than have them dictate your life through the grit of pain and heartache and cynicism. This is how I knew from the beginning that you were my people, uh, because I mean, that is so much of the uh, heart of my story is like what you were saying is like living in that tension of joy and grief and living in that tension of fear and faith and all that all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's really what life is. And, um, and that's, I mean, think about like the name of this podcast, can I laugh on your shoulder? It's like that idea of like, can, right. can we laugh? Can we cry together? Um, am I, uh, I don't know if I'm spoiling this, but I, whatever I'm going to say. It. So my book title, um, which got finalized in the last month is, um, if I don't laugh, I'll cry. And it's that idea right. of like, we can feel these feelings and <laughs> all of it. Mm-hmm. And God gave us those emotions. And, and I also don't think it's an accident that though that our emotions are a universal language, whether, you know, if I'm in the depths of some remote village in Asia and I can't speak the language, but I see someone smiling or laughing or crying or fearful or excited or, you know, sad, I know I know what language they're speaking. And same with, you know, mm-hmm. laughter is is this universal language and, and tears are this universal language. And I just, I don't find that to be an accident that even at the Tower of Babel, when everyone's languages were confused, God kept our emotions as a way because it connects us to each other. And when I see you cry, yes. I'm a sympathy crier. So I will cry right along mm-hmm. with you. When you laugh, yeah. I laugh. When you smile, I smile. Mm-hmm. And it just, that's how we connect with each other. And that's how we see each other. And, um, and we can walk with each other through really hard times. We can celebrate with each other through, through amazing times. Um, oh, that's just so beautiful. And I, I love your perspective on this. And, and like I said, I knew, Mm -hmm. I knew I liked you. Um, yeah, I mean, come on and preach. Okay, well, there's one other thing that you've been you've you've kind of alluded to that I wanted to unpack as I know we are running out of time. But um, you mentioned this right at the beginning and and you've mentioned it throughout. And I think it's a really important thing that I just wanted to to kind of highlight and bring to the surface. And that's just honesty. And that might sound simple, but but the reality is, is, is you kind of alluded to this, how, how a lot of times in, in your experience in the church growing up, and, and we can see that still manifesting itself today, is we mm-hmm. often will uh, put on these masks and we're not having real honest conversations about the things that are going on in our lives or the things that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the church is maybe afraid to tackle hard subjects that we need to be having hard mm-hmm. conversations with or um or you know in in one-on-one ministry and fellowship and things like that. And so I know that this is a lot of what you do and in, in your work at Freedom Movement is really giving people the permission to be honest especially within the context of a church. 
So can you unpack that a little bit and and what -hmm. you feel like, what are the steps that are important for anyone that somebody could take today in their own small church community or in Mm -hmm. their, um, you know, in their small group or with their pastor or whatever Mm -hmm. it it might be? Unpack that for us. Yeah. I mean, the outcome of being honest is inviting others in. We will not start with connecting to others first, to be honest. That's not how it's going to work because we have been hurt. Um, And if you think about it, we work backwards from where the enemy left off. The enemy started in isolation, pulling you away from others, uh, then pulling you away and doubting God. We see this mm-hmm. in the garden and then really pulling you away from yourself. So, you know, there's chaos. Eve doesn't even know who she is anymore. We start where the enemy left off. So we're going to start where we're going to connect to ourselves. That's where we have to start getting honest. We can't actually, and then we have to get honest with God. We actually can't even get honest with God until we're honest with ourselves. We have yeah. to knock so the door's open. We have to right. seek so we have to find. It's the prodigal, right? Like I'm sitting here, I don't want to eat with pigs. Should I go back to my dad? You know, like I don't want to live in this. And so to get honest, even in your church context, it might not be safe for you yet. And it's not because they're not safe. It's because you're not ready. And so the, the what I would say is where in your life, don't look at all your stories. You, you can't do that. But where in your life, where is that thing? What's that What's the box inside your heart where it's got some of those stories that you've either minimized or avoided and and bring one to the surface mm-hmm. and go, okay, I need to start taking a like a little bit of a, of a deeper look at my life and get a little more honest. Even if you don't want to do a past story, how do I really feel right now in my marriage? How do I really feel right now about myself? How do I really feel about my church? Whatever. Right. And we start getting honest about that because I truly believe that when we are not honest, the enemy goes unnamed and unchallenged yes. and wreaks havoc within your heart. And so when I say like, we want to start getting honest in the church and getting honest with your friends and getting on, we have to start with us. We cannot take per- people farther than we're willing to go ourselves. Right. So you can't ask honesty of your pastor if you don't even allow honesty within your own story. Right. And that's where church hurt really happens because we put on others what we really want for ourselves. Well, I need you to be the perfect place because really inside I need healing. I need you to rescue me because I need rescuing instead of going, okay, it's not for you to rescue me. It's not for you to be perfect. I actually need to sit and go, why? Why do I need to feel rescue? Where do I feel heartache? And so it's not glamorous. It's not, you know, I'd love to put a pretty bow and be like, here's the three steps to, you know, getting, here's number one. (laughs) Number one is, first of all, number one is buy my book. Hello, shameless plug. But number two is where are you going to, where do you need to, not going to, where do you need to get honest in your story? Just start somewhere and ask yourself these three questions. What do I think about the most about myself? What do I think about? What do I feel about what I think about? And what do I need? And I go into the book on different ways to, I like, what are those emotions? What are the needs? Like I, I help unpack exactly how to do that. But those are the three questions that I would just start with. How do I, what am I thinking about most of the time? Like what is ruling kind of my mind? What am I feeling and what am I needing? And how can I invite God into that? Um, it's just really, really a practical way to begin just starting to take an honest look at your life. I, you can't wear the t-shirt, the, the truth sets you free and not tell the truth. Yep. Yep. Oh man, this is so good. And 
I mean, again, I think it's just it it's it speaks to what what do you value, um, and and how do you live out what you value? And I I say this to my kids too all the time. I mean, this isn't even a parenting conversation, but just so much of this I think is applicable mm-hmm. both in our personal lives totally. and in our parenting. I mean, I you know I tell my kids all the time. I'm like my, one of my number one things is I was like we don't lie in this house. I don't lie to you and you're not going to lie to me. And if you lie to me, like that's my kids know that is like, mm-mm, we don't do that in this house. We have real honest conversations and we've fostered an environment with our kids, even at their young age, where we tell them, I'm like, you can ask any question and we are going to answer it honestly. Now, there may be times where you'll ask a question. And we say the honest answer to that is not appropriate for you at this age, (laughs) or I can only answer it a little bit. Um, But I'm honest with them about that. I'm not going to lie to them. Right. Um, And and that's, you know, that has created an environment of trust. And um, Mm -hmm. I think that that goes in marriage, too. I mean, that's how my husband and I are. And um, that's how I, you know, I try to be with my friends. um, And in my community is just be like, hey, let's have the hard conversation. Because if we just gloss over the truth, you're right, that is where the enemy does his best work is by Mm -hmm. um, and oh, man, we could do an entire podcast episode on that about where the enemy does his I have a whole chapter on the enemy because it's essential to understand. It is essential to understand how the enemy works. I thought he just worked in like Ouija boards and like, you know, haunted houses and, you know, rated our movies. And I was like, oh, oh, he actually works in the particularity. He sees my gifting as soon as I'm born and my goodness as I'm growing up. And he assaults that goodness because he knows if I let this grow up, she'll rattle hell. And he was right. And the truth is all of us have had that. We all have places of goodness in our life and the glory of God that lives within us. And and he has partnered with people that were supposed to love us and probably did love us and partnered with their wounded parts to silence the areas yeah. of our own places of gifting. And so we really do have to look. The, the lie is often the minimization and the avoidance mm-hmm. of actual pain because we go, oh, it's not that big of a deal or I just don't want to deal with it. And when that happens, I promise you, you are living out your story of pain and not your story of of purpose. Yep. Amen to that. Oh my goodness. Carrie, this has been absolutely fantastic. I love you. I so think you're fun. amazing. So obviously for everybody listening, please go get Carrie's book, Free and Fully Alive. It is out by when this airs. It came out yesterday. Yay. Uh, so it's out into the world. So go get it um, wherever you get your books. And uh, how can people best connect with you and stay in touch and follow your work and, and all of that? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, you know, social media, Carrie Scott Garcia. You can also follow my nonprofit, Freedom underscore Movement. And you can also see all of the trainings that I do at wearefm.org. You can see all the trainings and everything. And yeah, you can get free and fully alive, reclaiming the story of who you were created to be. I birthed this baby and it came out yesterday. Woo! And the beauty of this is that I am so excited for everyday people to start understanding not just how to live, but how to live a fully alive life. What does that mean? And how do I do it? And it's all in the pages of that book. And I'm really proud of it. Amen. Amen. Carrie, thank you. Thank you for being here. You're amazing. Thank you, Molly. Oh, I love it. I love, 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 love Carrie so much. She really is hilarious, 
She's such a bright light in this world. And I love how she just really digs deep and gives such practical tools and tips for what it looks like to heal from your past and allow that to fuel your future. Be sure to join me next week where I have Elizabeth Passarella, who I'm so excited to have on the show for many reasons. I love her books. Uh, She came out with a book called Good Apple a couple of years ago and her newest book, It Was an Ugly Couch Anyway, just released in the last couple of months. And she's phenomenal. She's so funny. And I love her also because she and I share a book editor. And so we're kind of like editor twins. I don't know if that's a thing in the publishing world, but I was so excited to have her on. You're going to love her. So be sure to tune in next week. But for now, I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Let us know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod on Instagram. And would you take a moment and head over to whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on? And would you click the subscribe, the follow button? Would you take a moment to share this episode on your social media? Tag me. I would just love to know how this show is impacting you. Take a moment to leave a review. All these things are totally free and mean more to me than I can possibly begin to tell you. But for now, thank you for listening. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And you, this week, I hope something makes you laugh till you cry. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.